Autoimmune conditions are complex disease states where inflammatory and immune dysregulation overwhelm numerous regulatory systems. Their development and severity are often influenced by a legion of factors including genetics, immune dysregulation and infections, intestinal hyperpermeability, dysbiosis and toxicity, nutritional deficiencies and stress. Bioceuticals is proud to present the Reprogramming Autoimmunity Seminar Series in November 2016. The aim of this seminar is to delve deep into the known imbalances seen in autoimmune diseases and to learn the modern integrative treatments which can improve the health of patients suffering autoimmune-related illness. You will leave this seminar confident in assessing the complex imbalances seen in various autoimmune disorders, prescribing safe herbal and nutritional medicines to combat immune imbalances, and recommending effective nutritional and lifestyle interventions for the management of autoimmune disease symptoms. Your presenter, Belinda Reynolds, is a dietitian and senior educator for Bioceuticals who has shared her wealth of knowledge across Australia and New Zealand. Join Belinda at this half-day seminar throughout November 2016 to learn more about the evidence-based approaches for rebalancing immune dysregulation and how to enable your patients to enjoy a more fruitful life. Register now for this important education event at bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Helen Padaran, who holds a bachelor degree in health sciences, naturopathy, and completed studies in nutrition, herbal medicine, and massage, as well as postgraduate training in treatment for metabolic, neurologic, digestive, and immune disorders. She's been in clinical practice since 2001, working from one of Sydney's most highly regarded integrated medical centres, along with holistic GPs, an integrative paediatrician and other practitioners as well. Helen wrote the chapter on paediatrics and ASD, Autistic Spectrum Disorder, for Leah Heckman's book, Clinical Naturopathic Medicine. Co-authored the book Bubba Yum Yum with Charlotte Carr and Pete Evans and has another book on gut health to be released in November this year. Helen is an ambassador and a regular presenter for the Mind Foundation, has presented for Health Masters Live and ACNEM, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, providing postgraduate education for GPs, naturopaths, nutritionists and other healthcare professionals. While living in New Zealand for over four years, Helen lectured anatomy and physiology for the New Zealand College of Massage at the New Zealand Institute of Sport, and Helen is passionate about conscious living real food, vital health, and empowering individuals, families, and organizations to find the joy in well-being. Today, we're going to be talking about biofilms, though, and gut restoration, and I warmly welcome you to FX Medicine. Hi, Helen. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thank you. Now, you got to, um, to speak and lecture in New Zealand. How was that? Tell me about your evolution, because you've done a lot of stuff. There's been a few little things over the years. Um, well, yeah, a little bit frightening at first to get up and lecture, but um, I actually enjoyed it. It was a really 
um, nice group of students and um, I tend to, my nutritional approach like many of us these days is a little bit outside of the politically correct box. Um, but yeah, that was actually quite well received. So we had a good time. <laughs> and tell me about your book, Baba Yum Yum, because I've interviewed mm. Pete Evans, interesting guy, mm. I like him. Um, and sure Charlotte is. Carr though, I don't know, Charlotte. So, yeah, Charlotte is an amazing mother and her son, um, Willow, uh, had some spectrum issues going Mm on Mm -hmm. and uh, she has been recovering his health over the years and and done so amazingly, um, largely through food and then doing gut health and um, stuff that we'll be talking about today, actually, Mm. Um, and then other biomedical interventions as well. And so uh, Pete asked if we wanted to get together and write a book about it and and put together a resource that would provide really good recipes and information for new parents and and grandparents so that we can – get our kids thriving on really nutrient-dense foods. And, and like, I've got to say, like, you've chosen a rather complex and rather challenging speciality with learning disorders. What mm. interested you? What prompted you to to specialise in this rather than, you know, female disorders or...? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. When I first... Um graduated or soon after graduating, I used to think, oh, maybe I should get into women's health Mm, or mm. maybe I should do this. And there was quite a strong um, suggestion that we should find a niche. And in my mind, that kind of went against the principles of naturopathy because um, I didn't want to step away from that holism. Mm -hmm. And so um, through working at Pimble Grove Health Centre and with Dr. Anthony Underwood, who's a paediatrician who does biomedical treatments for autism and then being involved um, in the very early days with the Mind Foundation as well. I I remember going to my first um, Mind Forum and just thinking, ah, this is it, you know, like this is amazing because while it's kind of a specialty, it's also the broadest (laughs) stroke you can take because with the neurological disorders, you're looking at what are, what's going on metabolically, what's going on with immune function, what's going on with digestive function. And so it actually, you know, covered everything and it really um, resonated a lot with me. I also found that not only was it helping with children with autism, but if you look at all of our chronic illnesses um, of modern society, um, they're all, you know, inflammatory, metabolic, um, toxic kind of in nature. And so all those principles that I learned through MIND really helped me um, support my other patients in a much better way. Like I I just started getting um, much better tools and much better responses uh, with everybody I was working with, not just kids on the spectrum. So, um, and that's how I learned about biofilm as well. Mm. And that's what we're Mm. discussing today, biofilms as, you know, I guess part of the bacterial milieu of our guts and, and, you know, digestive disorders and indeed, you know, dare I compartmentalise it to bacterial overgrowth in mm. um, children with behavioural disorders or autism, ASD, etc. Mm. It's such a huge part of therapy. Oh, um, it absolutely is. And I mean, these days I still see children with ASD, but 
um, it's quite intense work as well. So I have kind of um, pulled back on that a little bit and I work these days a lot more with people with autoimmune conditions, for example, and other chronic inflammatory conditions. And whether it is the children on the spectrum or whether it is someone with any kind of autoimmune illness, I find unless we go in and really investigate what is going on with the gut flora and address that, then it's really an uphill battle and we end up chasing our tail a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, I've got to say, with biofilms coming from a nursing mm. background, the ones that I'm mm. familiar with is, you know, dental plaque and contaminated hip implants. So, That's so, right, yeah. Oh, you know, things like uh, urinary catheters. Um, yeah. I'm getting that there's a heck of a lot more to this subject than what I learned. Uh, so yeah, could you take our listeners through this, please? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's so much more. I mean, biofilm is found everywhere, right? So not just in the body, but, I mean, there was a um, discovery of biofilm, I believe, was around uh, the 1950s when the US were on um, oil exploration um, assignments mm. and they were having trouble with... Um, their pipes and getting oil to the surface and that kind of thing, and they realised it was because of biofilm. And so um, laminar flow, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, things like the green slime on river rocks is yeah. biofilm as well. So basically what we used to think was that, you know, bacteria were quite um, solitary individual beings, but what we're coming to learn is they're actually um, – quite social and they do uh, communicate a lot with each other mm-hmm. and when they do get in large enough numbers they use this these communication methods to build um, biofilm right so, and so yeah so, sorry so the, uh, what you're explaining there is, is what's called quorum sensing is that right that's right right that's okay yeah so could you briefly I haven't got a question for this but could you briefly explain that so um, well I don't know that I'd be giving the best description of it, but basically quorum sensing is when the microbes get in large enough numbers, they start to, they have these little molecules called auto-inducers. And when the auto-inducers reach a certain density, they start to, it starts to affect their um, gene activation and um, their gene expression. And so when that happens, that's when they start to build this biofilm and build these um, communities together. So it's almost like um, uh, if you wanted to take an, the analogy of a French Revolution, started off with you know just little pockets everywhere, everywhere mm. but once they got together in greater numbers, they went, aha, it's a revolt. Yeah, all go together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so how then do biofilms differentiate, mm. differentiate from, say, you know, the mucus that we normally produce in the gut lining, what's called often called the glycocalyx? And this has been yeah. asked of me, you know, like, I remember one practitioner I spoke to, dear practitioner, I might say, hi, Mim. Um, biofilms were bad, if you like, and and, and mm. glycocalyx is good. I wonder if it's more muddy than that, forgive the pun. It's, yeah, definitely more muddy. So I definitely, you know, there's good biofilm as well as bad biofilm. It's not so much the biofilm that's an issue, it's what's in the biofilm that mm. we um, are wanting to... Oh balance out and uh, make sure that we've got healthy populations because our our beneficial microbes make biofilm as well. Biofilm is a way for microbes to attach to a surface. So whether it's the gut lumen or particles in the gut, 
it's a way for them to um, bind together so that they can colonise as well rather than being swept through. Like the planktonic bacteria don't um, have as much resistance to their environment or to the host immune system. So oh. the, the biofilm is a way for them to improve their resilience. Can you give us some examples of biofilms in the human body? Well, we see, um, as you said, um, biofilms do occur quite a bit with surgical implants, but um, wound biofilm is um, a big issue as well, particularly with uh, diabetes, for example, right. and, and ulcerations and poor wound healing. Yeah. Um, don't Google those images before lunch. Dehiscence um, of a wound, yeah, lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's also we also find it um, in the guts. It can be found in the lungs. It, um, in cystic fibrosis patients, it's quite an issue actually. Right. Um, but a whole host of different microbes can be involved in the creation of um, biofilm. So it could be Streptococcus, it could be Staphylococcus candida produces biofilm as mm, well. Yeah. So um, what we find is, and this is where I guess some of the struggle is in the um, translation from research to clinical practice is most of the research is based on individual biofilms, the biofilms made by single species, mm -hmm. whereas that isn't really actually how it happens. No. They're very much um, a community of different species. To me, that's kind of like looking for a hero probiotic. We don't. We yeah. Don't. <laughs> it's yep. a little bit arrogant and, no, and probably no fraught with that. danger. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also make a point, if you like, of what you said then. A, a new discovery is that, for instance, I know this is getting a little bit off track, but mm -hmm. lichens, we used to think it was like an algae and a fungus. Now mm -hmm. they're finding that it's actually this partnership between, I think it was two fungi and, and an algae. So there's this yeah. true, uh, almost a symbiotic partnership happening with yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is because when they um, band together in partnership like that, they can support each other as well. So uh -huh. the, the more resilient or resistant strains to antibiotics, for example, can um, help improve the resilience of what would otherwise be the weaker strains. So, yeah, they do work together. And indeed, antibiotic resistance is a real and present danger. Uh, you know, one that medicine has very little to combat because mm. the old adage, uh, broad spectrum antibiotic, is the cause of this That's sort of right. issue. So, yeah, and particularly high dose antibiotics we know actually trigger the production of biofilms. Right. Mm. Ah, as a defense mechanism. That's right, yeah. And I guess, therefore, and this sort of goes along something, uh, an issue that I have with naturopathy, certain naturopathic mm. practices, and that is this kill mentality. It is yeah, it is bad. Yeah. I said it's yeah. bad, so therefore we need yeah. to kill it. Whereas <laughs> yeah. Candida albicans is a commensal in many mm. women and causes no issues. It's only when it um, changes and, you know, it, we spoke about this quorum sensing. I don't think that's appropriate for Canada. Right. But, but there's only... Well, yeah, but it changes its genetic expression and that's the way right. that it interacts with the host. Yeah. yeah. So mm. we often cause that by knocking off anti-probiotics um, by yeah. using antibiotics yeah. and giving it the, the step up that it needs. So I've got yeah. to ask here, what do you use? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I, 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 I know that what you're going to say is some things that I wish medicine would just wake up. Mm, I, I just yeah. want to, like, I want to hold it by the shirt tails and shake it. 
Why, know,、yeah. given that you know you're in a deep puddle,、yeah. is medicine not looking at, at as a bare minimum probiotics, but certain things like lactoferrin and things like that that are shown to be safe may have、mm. import and it certainly protects your patient? That's right, yeah. And I mean, I completely agree that there's、um, too much of that mentality of there's bugs there, we need to kill it off. I think. Um, if there's bugs there, everything has a role, right? And、yeah. a lot of the time, microbes' roles are for decomposition or breaking down of、um, an excess of a certain type of nutrient or, or toxin or byproduct、yeah. um, in the environment. So if there is an overgrowth, it's not just about、um, focusing solely on that bug and killing it off. You want to look at, well, why is it there in the first place?、Mm. What's the environment that it's in? It's the whole, you know, it's not about the bug, it's about the terrain. So we need to get the real estate in good nick and then we'll get the good tenants looking after the real estate. I love that analogy. So I've got to ask you here then, and this,、uh, you know, I'm going to give you a long time for this because I think it's going to be a while. So what do you use? What sort of、okay. agents do you use to help? Balance, rebalance the gut flora and, and you know, get the bad guys to sort of get back into their pockets of discontent. <laughs> yeah, so it's a multi pronged approach, of course, as、um, most things generally are. And at the base of it is definitely diet, right?、Yeah. So you can't do anything with much effect without、um, eating well. And generally speaking, I find these days、um, we, our diets are. Far too high in starches and sugars. One of the things that triggers overgrowth of opportunistic microbes in the gut. And they're there trying to clean up the mess. Yep. So they're actually our friends, not our foes. They're, they're, they're protecting us against what we're overdosing on, basically. So we need to take away that overdose, first of all. So changing、um, the dietary composition is really important. And this is one reason why. I do really like using paleo as a base because I think for most people it provides a really good guideline on where to start. And then, even if you know, paleo isn't perfect for that person long term, it gives you a good foundation to build from、mm-hmm. so that you can、mm-hmm. experiment what else you know, might need to be tweaked. Can I just interject though? Yeah. With paleo, I, I, I know I, I always say this because it was a big eye opener for me. Can you please、mm. take people through that paleo is not meat based? <laughs> no, it's not, it's not about having a steak with a side of bacon. <laughs> so <laughs> <it's> <laughs> it is in my、um, practice, anyway, in my life and my clinic, it is a, a highly plant based diet.、Thank、so、you. the majority of the meal is、um, absolutely, you want the focus to be on the plants with a variety of、um, you know, brightly colored and leafy greens and cruciferous and getting the whole、uh, range in. Then it's actually quite a small amount of protein. You know, people who are breastfeeding or pregnant or going through stages of growth、um, or convalescence might need a little bit more. But generally, it's、uh, a relatively small serve of protein and then good fats to go with that. So,、um, whether it's from, you know, grass fed animal fats or coconut oils or extra virgin olive oil and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well done.、It's、pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's, I, I need to alert people to it time and time again because yeah, no, still today people are saying it's meat. And、mm. it's like, no. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there is that misconception, unfortunately. So, yeah, the, the emphasis is on the plants, and that provides、um, a lot of great 
prebiotics um, and fiber for the gut flora as well, obviously. So, um, and generally speaking, if I'm running through a biofilm protocol with someone, um, it's usually the low starch veggies that we're, or the non-starchy veggies that we're focusing on. We might need to do a period of time on, on low to no starch and then um, as appropriate, then some of that can be reintroduced back in. With regards to low or no starch, what about resistant fibres? And for instance, you know, um, the old adage of um, uh, potato salad, the fibres change mm. once you heat them, then cool them. Mm. They've mm. now changed into a resistant starch. What what's the what do you do there with regards to bacterial I've, fermentation? Yeah, I have found, and this you know this is just from my experience. Mm-hmm. Others might find it differently, but I have found in my practice that in the early stages, um, you still need to be low starch, regardless of whether it's resistant or not, um, because. If you have overgrowth of bacteria in the gut, you know, they're, they're beneficial starches as well. They're not just going to be feeding um, the good guys. They'll, you know, the opportunistic guys will be getting in on it as well. So I find, um, yeah, low starch early on gets the quickest results, the most effective results. Great. Mm. So what other agents do you use? Okay, so well, what I actually do is I I um, have a biofilm protocol that I use. So it's basically a four step process, yeah. And biofilm doesn't get resolved quickly. It's a it's a gradual process because not only are we giving some attention directly to the microbes, but we're also trying to change the environment, yep, so that it's sustainable change. Yep. And so. Um, I, the four steps need to be done for basically a minimum of three months, I find. And depending on the severity of the health condition of the individual, it could go up to two years. Yeah. So that's more when we're dealing with um, people with ASDs who have severe gastrointestinal stuff going on. It can be that two-year process. Most people, I find it's around the six-month mark. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's not a quick fix. So the first step um, is we want to break down or weaken the biofilm so that we can start to address the bugs that are growing within it. Because again, um, it's not the biofilm itself that's the problem. It's what has created the biofilm or what's, what's living in the biofilm. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we need to weaken that biofilm so that we can get to those microbes and so that the immune system can get to the microbes as well. Um, because one of the functions of biofilm is um, protection from host immune function. Mm. So for that step, there's some great um, enzymes. So um, natokinase, for example, um, ceratopeptidase. Um, natokinase is particularly good for strep and um, ceratopeptidase is um, particularly good for staph, but I, I think there's quite a bit of uh, crossover. Uh, lactoferrin, as you mentioned before, yeah. is also a great anti-biofilm um, agent. And then things like xylitol is actually good for breaking down biofilm. It's one ah. of the reasons why it's effective for dental plaque. Ah, of course. Um, dental health, yeah. Right. Yeah. So right, right. that is very handy. Um, apple cider vinegar is anti-biofilm. Yeah. Honey is. And cinnamon oil as well. And there's a few other... Um, Agents and one thing that is quite handy too, which is in some biofilm enzyme supplements, 
is uh, disodium EDTA. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason for that is is that biofilm is made up of largely water. It's actually 99% water. Right. But it's also made up of polysaccharides and proteins and positively charged ions like calcium, magnesium and iron. Um, and so by putting... Excuse me. By putting the um, EDTA in there, it helps to bind to those minerals too. One of the important things in regards there is that um, positively charged heavy metals can also accumulate in biofilm. So when biofilm is broken down, um, often things like mercury can be released, and that we want to prevent from being reabsorbed into the system. Mm. Um, and so the EDTA helps to bind to those metals. So, so can I ask? Just sorry to interject, but can I ask? Mm. Is this why dentists use EDTA to prepare for, let's say, a refilling once they've taken out a mercury filling? That I'm not too sure. I can't answer that one. Huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, with the lysis stage or the breaking down of biofilm, that's something that you need to do on an empty stomach. Mm. So, um, and at waiting at least 15 minutes before consuming anything, okay? Right. So, for step two, that's when we want to start looking at the antimicrobial. So, I'm a big fan of using stool testing to determine what is actually overgrowing and what's not because mm-hmm. without that, it's a bit of a stab in the dark, yeah? And I yep. guess, you know, keeping in mind as well that our ability to... Um, understand what is normal in the gut is still in its infancy but we have a reasonable idea of um what a healthy gut tends to look like yeah yeah so the combination of the results plus the clinical picture um put that together and then you know as herbalists and naturopaths we've got an incredible range of beautiful antimicrobials that we can use and um yeah, now's probably not the time to be going through all of those, but um, we've. I think we've got a huge benefit with using herbs because not only are they eliciting, you know, um, a antimicrobial effect, but most of the antimicrobial herbs also improve, you know, the the immune system's ability to be able to do its job in. Killing off the microbes as well, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got a um, better approach in that respect. So that's the antimicrobials. Then the third step I find when you're dealing with biofilm um, protocol, it's actually really important that you have a bit of a mop-up phase Mm. because you do tend to get a much greater degree of die-off when you're addressing biofilm than when you don't. Right, right. And so that can result in, you know, an exacerbation of any current symptoms, um, changeable bowel habits, a bit of a, a hangover type feeling, yep. um, you know, the cold and flu symptoms, all those kinds of things that we're generally familiar with. We want to actually avoid that from happening, you know, while some people will say, oh, that's great, it means, you know, it's working. That was the old way. <laughs> yeah, that was the old way. We want to go to the new way of, okay, let's do this at a pace that your liver can actually handle all the release of endotoxins from bugs being killed off, yeah? So um, going into the protocol gently is a good idea and providing a mop-up um, throughout the day is a good idea. So mm. as a mop-up agent, that can be things like, 
um, slippery elm, psyllium husks, pectin, that kind of thing. Um, otherwise, if there is a particularly sensitive person or they've got a particularly strong overgrowth or you think that um, they might have a strong reaction for whatever reason, then activated charcoal is um, very effective right. at mopping that up nicely. Good old activated yeah. charcoal. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, one thing that I forgot to ask right at the beginning is it, mm. what sort of patient groups tend to have these biofilm issues? I mean, obviously it's an upset yeah. in terrain and that's like pick your pick your diagnosis there but there you go yeah That's, but you've answered the question oh okay right <laughs> so um anybody with any chronic inflammatory condition mm. anybody with any immune uh, autoimmune condition um there i guess and anyone with um things like ibs um irritable bowel syndrome inflammatory bowel syndrome yeah uh sorry inflammatory bowel diseases Disease, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, there are definitely all populations that um, benefit from looking into this approach. Right. Um, you know, when we look at the implications of the microbiome on every aspect of our health, it's no surprise then. And if we look at how many modern illnesses are a reflection of what's going on with our microbiome, then um, it makes sense that that's a pivotal um, factor that we need to address hmm. in most health con- most health conditions. And we know that um, at least 80% of chronic infections are biofilm-related as well. Yeah. So if there's any chronic or recurrent infections, um, whether it is you know ear infections or um, gut infections or skin infections, whatever it is, it, it's highly likely that biofilm is going to be involved. I've got to ask, you know, in Australia, we we think probiotics and we think, yay, we've Mm. got quote-unquote broad-spectrum probiotics. Mm -hmm. But I think we've got... Broad-spectrum of 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've got, is is it 13 or 17 species to be able to choose from on the Australian TGA list? But there's some really interesting, and it's one of my pet terms, you know. Mm. It's one of my favourite researchers, Clara Belson. She's done some really good work with um, Acomantia mucinophilia. Okay. And I was discussing recently with Dr. Mark Donahoe, do you know of any – we know that plant-based foods help bacteria to grow. Is mm. there any way to skew that by eating certain types of plant-based foods to make sure that your probiotics are going to, um, you know, bloom? Yeah, yeah. Well, there there are things that we know like um, – uh, Citrulline high foods um, like the rind of watermelon, watermelon can yeah. be yeah particularly helpful. There, um, fermented foods obviously um, can play an important role in supporting um, the environment of the guts, not just because they have probiotics in them, but because of how high their enzyme content mm. is um, and how they affect the environment of the guts. Um, Things like um, miso as well, actually. So often if people have low um, levels of bacteroides, then um, miso can actually, fermented soy can actually be uh, Uh, useful. Um, What else? Fucose. uh, So the sugars found in um, seaweed are quite good for supporting E. coli levels and the good good stuff. Um, So, yeah, there are certainly... 
particular types of plants and plant nutrients that different um, families of bacteria do thrive on. Do you ever, apart from, forgive me, with regards to probiotics, um, mm. do you tend to go the broad spectrum type approach or do you go single strain? I It depends very much on the patient. So yeah. I'm actually, unless someone, you know, if someone's having antibiotics, then yes, sure, go use a um, broad spectrum one. Um, if I'm dealing with any chronic inflammatory or immune condition though, I am actually quite hesitant to use probiotics without knowing what's going on through a stool sample because so much of the time there can be overgrowth of our most common um, microbes as well, so the ones that are found in probiotics. And in those situations, at best, people might not notice a difference and at worst, it can actually exacerbate the situation. So I can get reasonably specific. I try and keep it as broad as I can because I think the the largest variety of microbes is um, shown to be of the greatest benefit. But at the same time, we need to make sure we're not supplying things that are already in oversupply. So mm. that's one reason why I do like using fermented foods in a wise manner because um, rather than just getting the limited strains that are available in probiotics, we're getting a much broader variety of um, microflora in that. So, um, and this is another reason why diet is so important because all of the different phytonutrients and fibers in the plant foods and, and um, you know, animal proteins actually will affect the microbial flora as well. Um, this is that's the way that we're going to get that diversity in. Mm. Um, but when I'm dealing with the biofilm protocols, it can get quite specific. Right. Um, mm. I guess one of the heroes, sort of quote unquote, probiotics the, that we use these days, Saccharomyces boulardii. Yeah, so some yeah. very interesting mm-hmm. actions. Mm. Um, the other one you mentioned, E. coli, before, and we've sort of got mm. E. coli. That's a poisonous little, but mm. indeed, <laughs> it's a it's a huge um, representation of our guts. And you Absolutely. know now. Now in Australia, you're able to get the Nissel E. coli um, nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Sorry, E. coli Nissel right. nineteen seventeen as a therapeutic yeah. agent. So mm. it's actually really good now that you can have these sort of great strains. Um, yeah, yeah. To use. That's right. We've been lucky somehow managed to um, have access to that for quite a long time now. So that definitely has um, played a big part in protocols over the years because. Uh, a lot of people, particularly with inflammatory bowel diseases or chronic constipation, um, have very low E. coli levels. Mm. And, you know, E. coli is so important for short-chain fatty acid production in the colon and um, production of different amino acids and coenzyme Q10 and all these things that are needed for healthy colonocyte function. Mm. And mm. without enough of that, it can be um, very hard to get on top of um, healthy gut function. So any any caveats of therapy? You've mentioned a couple there about, you know, the preponderance for use of the, you know, dare I say the word dairy type based species mm. of which mm-hmm. most of them are, not all of them, but most of them yeah. tend to be dairy um, uh, based species. Um, 
i.e. they were originally from yogurts and other fermented yeah. dairy-type foods. Um, I, I get the issue of you want it from a human, but I'm sorry, I, I don't subscribe to that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, you can find this. Nis- well, you can find Nissel 1917. It's been isolated from yes, pigs. What right. did soldiers eat? Pork. Yeah. They ate sausages. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. So it's kind of like we, we, we want to own these things, and I don't necessarily yeah. – I get there may be issues of adherence. I, I understand that, but I think – we, when we're looking at these broad spectrum things, we want to feed the things that we have. Um, yeah. And that's why diet should be the basis. Exactly. It just keeps coming back to food. Always, and, always. Mm. So any other caveats, any warnings? Any, have you ever seen any patients go off, go AWOL on this type of therapy and you go, uh-oh, what have I done there? Um, certainly not in recent years, but maybe earlier on, yeah, when I um, when biofilm protocol was new to me mm. and um, – I think that, yeah, there are a few cautions that you want to keep in mind. One is if there's any particularly, you know, really acute inflammation going on, that needs to be dealt with first. Yep, there's no point trying to um, modify populations of gut flora when everything's just on fire. Um, You can just add to the load then. Um, Sometimes doing some basic gut work first is important or some... um, you know, if it is somebody with inflammatory bowel disease and they are having um, a, a high frequency of loose stools, then settling that down with things like Saccharomyces boulardii in nice high doses, um, um, potentially with some other support, could be very important to do first. Um, and the other thing that I find really important is to lead into it with some liver support. Right. Because when you start to um, modify the gut flora, your liver is really being called into action. You know, when when microbes are being killed off and their cell walls are breaking and they're releasing their endotoxins, it's your liver that's needing to process that. And um, that is why if people go in a bit too gung-ho or before they're ready, then you get those die-off symptoms um, with the like Herxheimer kind of reaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, liver support's always really useful. And it's quite handy because initially anyway, when you're sending off stool samples, you need to wait until you get results back and all that kind of thing. So that's a perfect kind of time frame to focus on those preliminary steps. Um, so that once you get the results back, you can actually start working on them. And the other, one other thing that I would just say to be really mindful of is if you do get into doing the biofilm protocols, you can um, witness these die-off cycles, which could happen anywhere from every three to six weeks seems to be the most common kind of time frame where people will um, notice, you know, little disturbance as long as they're not having you know big die-off effects and it's just oh feel a little bit different in my guts or my bowel habits have changed a little bit or um skin condition flared up a little bit or something like that as long as it's nothing too major Mm. um that can happen in cycles throughout the course of the protocol yeah um yeah and i also highly recommend rotating antimicrobials as well throughout the process Great. A couple of things I forgot to ask about. Um, things mm. like um, caprylic acid with coconut oil and also N-acetylcysteine. Yep. Do you ever use those? Yeah. Um, coconut oil for the caprylic acid, yes. Um, not as much the NAC, actually. They're partially because I find, um, you know, in, in patients who do have uh, yeast overgrowth, it can really exacerbate that. Uh-huh. 
So um, it's not one that I use as often as the other tools. I find there are some there's such great enzyme um, availability now that are you know specific for dealing with biofilm that um, I go for them rather than things like the NAC. Mm. Later on in a protocol, NAC can come into into play, but it's not my first port of call. Yeah, and. What about, I have to ask about this with regards to Helicobacter pylori, where, you know, it's, mm. it's controversial research, some's glowingly positive, others like nut, no effect, and that's mastic gum. Yeah, that's not um, something I'm an expert on, I'm afraid. I can't yeah. give you a good answer for no, that. No, that's fine. No, no. <laughs> to me, it's very I'm interesting. Sure you know I know more than me on that one. Well, I, I just think it, it's one of those agents that should be used in concert with other things and, and potentially, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's an, uh, an adjunct to, um, existing antibiotic treatment to help that antibiotic treatment m be more effective and less um, fraught with symptoms, with, with side mm. effects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any closing <laughs> remarks about, you know, what you can impart to our listeners? Because you've obviously got a lot of expertise in this clinical, practical, safe treatment of these, these sort of issues with patients. Any things yeah. to watch out for for our practitioners? Um, I think, you know, as long as you take those considerations in mind that we just spoke about, I think they're the, they're the key things to keep in mind. Um, you know, remembering that 80% of chronic and recurrent infections are biofilm related and that um, biofilm is implicated in um, that almost all, well, I don't know about almost all, but a lot of chronic inflammatory diseases, autoimmune illnesses, fibromyalgia, things like that, yep. um, implicated in mind disorders. So your your ASD, um, even anxiety and depression and that kind of thing. Okay. I find addressing biofilm in the gut is incredibly helpful. Um, and it is a different approach than just addressing planktonic bacteria. So right. we can't just go in there with our antimicrobials and expect to get the job done because they're quite resilient in this biofilm. And where so, can where can practitioners learn more about how to treat? So there's a couple of presentations available on Health Masters Live, uh -huh. um, one by myself and one by another practitioner. So there's that. Um, I originally learnt about biofilm from Dr. Anu Usman in the States. Um, so you could look up on Autism One, uh, sorry, autism.com and uh, haven't had a look recently actually to see if the lectures are still available online, but you can do a search and a lot of lectures are available for free online. So yep. you can have a look there as well. Helen, I thank you so much for taking us through your specialty today with regards to biofilm treatment and gut flora restoration because I think it's so important. It's, it's obviously widespread. It's obviously that, that widespread. Mm. But what it does, it to me, it's answered a few little niggling questions as to why there were certain issues doing things and and what we should be doing instead to, to you know have a more targeted approach. But I love the way that you are safe. I love the way that you... Um, you know, concentrate on the diet and that supplements are indeed supplements to a good, healthy diet. Um, so, right. you know, seriously, thank you so much for taking us through this today on Biofilms. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I love working with it. I get excited every time I get a stool test back. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I hope that it helps um, a lot of you out there to uh, work with this with your patients as well. Well done. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Bioceutical Seminar Series, 
reprogramming autoimmunity. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au, or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.